0: Welcome to Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray that you are blessed by this message from Pastor John Roberts. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. We looked at verse 4 last week about the fact that the Father, this was all His idea. He chose us. Before the world, before the universe was ever created, He chose us. And, but then tonight we're looking here, and we've already talked a little bit about adoption, but it gets into this concept of predestination. Because it says that, um, well, let's start in verse four. It says, just as He chose us in Him, meaning in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, and Himself being the Father, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the beloved. One little thing I saw to back up to last week, when it says there at the end of verse 4, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, I never saw this before, but as I was reading through that um, yesterday and just meditating on it, what I saw there is a, um, us as a sacrifice. Because we, you know, we are the, I mean, there's a lot of different metaphors that the Bible uses to describe Christians. We're the temple. But in one sense, we are, when it says we're holy and without blame, that's the character that, of Jesus that God gave us. And, but it was the character that you had to have for sacrifice. When they went to um, <clears throat> inspect the lamb that they were going to sacrifice, they had to go through and inspect it from, I mean, they went from nose to tail. They, they got down and pulled the wool apart and inspected the entire thing. Said, okay, this one, and, and the terms they use, this is holy and blameless. and blameless. It's pure. <clears throat> and then it could be sacrificed. Well, Jesus was that way. In fact, if you go back into the gospels and you read that account, the 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 holy week, Jesus was staying in Bethany, which is like I don't know, half a mile or so, I think from Jerusalem. It was walking distance, but he wouldn't stay in Jerusalem because it wasn't he wasn't it wasn't time yet. But he would go from Bethany into the temple every day and teach to the point where they quit challenging him because every time they challenged him, tried to get him tripped up, he'd tie them in knots. And, but he did that, that was his examination. A, a sacrifice, especially the uh, sacrifice that the high priest did during the, uh, the, uh, the Day of Atonement and at Passover Um, they inspected that that animal every day for a week well that's what jesus is doing he's going in he's not inspecting his body but he's throwing out what he believes what he's preaching what he stands for and saying inspect me find a problem find a fault they can't do it they tried oh my lord they tried hard But they could never find anything. Well, that is the trait that he's given us. In our spirits, we we are just like him. In fact, we're going to look tonight over in Peter's writings. We have partaken of the divine nature. That's an awesome statement. He has allowed us to partake of his nature. So if he's holy and without blame, we're holy and without blame. But then in in verse 5, it it starts talking about this idea of predestination. And this is one where you can get, oh, Lord, you can get so far off so fast with predestination. Martin Lloyd-Jones was bringing out certain particular uh, facts and traits about predestination. And the more I thought about it, it just started getting twisted, because I had it real clear going in. And then it's like, well, I hadn't thought about that, and I hadn't thought about that. But there are a couple of ways to look at it. The real hardcore Calvinistic way of looking at it, God decided going into this, I'm going to create this group to be part of me and I'm going to predestine them to be born again, go to heaven, be part of my family. I'm going to predestinate that this group will not be part of my family. And they are vessels of wrath, and I've created them that way. Well, the problem I have with that, and along with that, when you preach that God's predestined you to be saved, when God moves on you with his grace, you cannot resist it. Well, that does away with free will, my big problem. Plus, it violates, and I, I forget exactly where the scripture is. It says that, that the will of God is that All men are saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. How can God's will be that he wants all men to come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved if he created vessels of wrath that he does not want to get saved? That's a contradiction. And so how I've seen it is that, and there's two ways that you can explain this. You can explain it that God can, in his foreknowledge, he looks down through history and he knows this one will accept me and this one will not. The one will accept me, I know him. doesn't matter what the circumstances are of his life and I've run every scenario, he will accept me and get born again. This one will never accept me. He's going to be a vessel of wrath because it's going to be his choice and I know his choice because I'm omniscient. That is a possibility, I have to say that's a possibility. But what I see even more so, because I see several references throughout the New Testament, that Jesus died for the sin of the world. I see that that even with, with people who will not accept Christ, they never bow their knee until the very end, the white throne judgment, every knee will bow then. Um, Jesus still died for their sins. And he paid the price for their sins, except for one. And that one sin is the unforgivable, the unpardonable sin, which is rejecting the Holy Spirit. The New Testament calls it blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which again can get confusing because I've heard people say, well, yeah, you don't want to talk about, talk bad about anybody that speaks in tongues because that's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. No, I look at simply that, that the Bible's clear that In order to get saved, the Holy Spirit must move on you. And when he moves on you, if you resist that and reject that, that's blasphemy of the Spirit. That's saying, because there is a moment when you know, I'm a sinner and I need to get saved. And if you say no to that, you're resisting and you're telling the Holy Spirit, no, I know that's true. I can see that revelation, but I reject it and I refuse to believe it. You've just rejected the Holy Spirit. And if you reject salvation that's freely given, how can there be forgiveness for that? It's the only thing I see that can keep a person out of heaven is that sin of rejecting the gift that Christ gave us. But then he, he goes into what the gift is and it's adoption as sons L- let me read this this is these are some other um, and this, i'm going to read verse three through six because it's that's really more the thought in the um contemporary english version it says praise the god and father of our lord jesus christ for the spiritual blessings that christ has brought us from heaven before the world was created god had christ choose us To live with him and be his holy and innocent loving people. God was kind and decided that Christ would choose us to be God's own adopted children. God was very kind to us because of the Son he dearly loves, and so we should praise God. I like that. Um, God's Word translation is similar. It says, praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Christ, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing that heaven has to offer. Before the creation of the world, he chose us through Christ to be holy and perfect in his presence. Because of his love, he had already decided to adopt us through Jesus Christ. He freely chose to do this. And then the message um, says that, um, I'm going to start in verse 4. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. I mean, it's a, to be honest with you. I, no, it doesn't because I, I'm, I'm, and I'm not bragging about this, but I'm a, I'm a fairly easygoing guy. I mean, you, you put, I, I do have buttons, and you push the right buttons. There's a side of me that can come out that I'm not proud of. I've, I've lost it on more than one occasion. But for the most part, it's hard to push my buttons. But i there are certain people that I'll be honest with you. I I have a hard time being around them. I just don't like them. I, I I'm on Facebook because I and I I've kind of neglected the church's Facebook page here lately. Um, but some of these posts, especially the political ones, I just want to reach through that screen and and snatch them up and smack them, you know, and and then wake them up and slap them again. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm using that to think if I had to make a decision whether I would sacrifice one of my children to pay for something evil they did. I'll give you an example, and I don't mean to get political, but that the women's march. A couple of ladies, and I use that term loosely, that got up there and listening to some of the things they said, I'm thinking... It's just a waste of skin and blood. Would I have the presence of mind to sacrifice my child, to save that person? And not only do it, even if I had the love to do it, I'm not sure I'd be real happy about it. I might do it out of obedience, but to really, as this says, to take pleasure in planning it all out. That's just, I can't, I can't wrap my head around that kind of love. And yet I know it exists. Now, the fun part, and I've I've studied adoption. We've talked about adoption here, about, you know, this is a, adoption didn't take place in Jewish culture at all. They were, you know, in fact, Jews were very, still are, very, very concerned about lineage. That's why you go through um, the Gospels at the very beginning, at the birth of Christ in Luke and uh, uh, Matthew's account. It goes through the lineage of Mary all the way back to, um, I don't know, Abraham, I think. Maybe a little farther. Luke, same thing for Jesus. Um, I may have those reversed. But... They were, they were very big on who is your ancestor and can you trace your ancestry back, in particular to Abraham. Um, the Romans, they didn't care. They were they in, in in some ways they were a little bit like the United States or at least like we have been in the past. There were they were a, a meritocracy. A meritocracy. If you had the merit and could perform now. Don't don't take that too far. They had slaves that <laughs> were servile, and while they most people treated their slaves, um, they weren't cruel to their slaves. But they still had no status in the world. They had no value. They had no um, rights. But if you um, if you really ha- were able to Excel at something you had a chance to climb in society to earn money to gain status all of that was possible and with the their their um, tradition of adoption You could reach down and take a slave and adopt them into your family And they had the same status that your your natural born children had but what I saw here Because my son and daughter you know I think most of you know Um, I adopted them. They're from Gina's first marriage. Her husband was killed, and um, um, they wanted me to adopt them, and I, I wanted to adopt them. When you, as kids, people always thought we looked, my kids looked like me, which always, I never just told them, well, that'd be great, but, you know, they don't carry my DNA, so it's probably not. Now that they're adults, I mean, Tiffany looks just like her mama, and Ryan looks just like his natural father. I mean, you see a picture of Randy and Ryan, same age, no doubt where that boy came from. So even in in adoption, you don't change your nature. My kids still have the the, uh, DNA of their natural father. That does not mean that we haven't changed our nature as Christians, but it's not adoption that changes our nature. Uh, Go to 2 Peter chapter 1. We do change nature, but we change our nature through regeneration, the new birth. First Peter, or excuse me, 2 Peter 1, starting in verse 2, Peter says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. That calling by glory and virtue is God planning out and calling us before the foundation of the world. But notice how he did it. By which, by through that knowledge and through that calling from from God the Father by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Paul goes through it in in, um, Romans um, 10. Uh, It ends up in in, um, um, verse 17. But he says, you know, how how shall they call? It, it, well, it starts out with whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. <coughs> but how shall they call if no one is sent? How shall, if no one is sent, how will they preach? Or how will they call on him if no one preaches? How will they preach if no one is called? And goes through a list. Well, they're, what they're doing is people go. They preach the gospel to you know, um, through, Words through sermons, but sometimes just people sharing their testimony, what God did in their life. Those that, through that, that word, through that knowledge that comes through those words, that's how we become partakers of the divine nature. We say, hey, you got saved. You got this. You cha- God changed you. I want to change. I don't like how I am. You know, I, I, I don't meet too many people that are 100% satisfied with how they are. And usually, if, I, if the few people I've, I've met that really did, there's nothing I want to change. I, in the back of my mind, I always wonder, am I dealing with a sociopath? Because they don't see a need to change, you know. But we do become partakers of that divine nature, literally our, our spiritual DNA changes, But that's not what Paul's talking about here in in Ephesians um, 1.5. Adoption's not concerned with our nature, but it's concerned with our rank. Um, When he declares that we are adopted sons, just like in the Roman world, I could adopt a slave into my family. He still, he doesn't look any different. He won't look like me. He won't pass on my genes or my traits. But he has all the rank attached to my family name. That's what we get through adoption. It brings legal standing, brings position. In fact, later on, Paul's gonna say he not only did he save us, but he raised us up and seated with us in heavenly places. That's rank. Um, And with that comes privileges and also comes responsibilities. But that that's the distinction that Paul makes both happens at the same point of getting born again. But when he talks about this adoption, it's it's an, an indication of our rank. And with rank, lots of privileges. But I what I heard a story, um it was a General Mathis that's now our Secretary of Defense. Um, I never really heard much about him, I'd heard the name, but I really had never heard much of his story. Um, the the Marines that served with him in Afghanistan nicknamed him Mad Dog. Uh, not so much because he, w- he was aggressive towards the enemy, but he was aggressive, he aggressively protected his soldiers. That's why, they, he's like a mad dog keeping us in line, but also you try to come in and hurt us. You're going to have to tackle with this mad dog. In fact, he really does not like people to call him mad dog unless you served under him. Then he takes it as a badge of honor. Everybody else that ter- uses that term. I'm sure he tolerates it, but he said he really doesn't like it. But the sto- there's two stories that really demonstrated for me um, the difference between rank and responsibility. If I'm not mistaken, he's a bachelor. If not, he's not, his wife's not in the picture right now. But he is a very learned man. He's an intellectual. Um, But I heard two stories. One, when he was still on active duty, he was a two-star general commandant of a a camp, Marine Corps base. And some general that was over him came through the base on Christmas Day, early in the morning, went to the guard shack, and asked the um, um, sergeant, corporal, whoever was, had guard duty, said, who's your officer of the day? And the guy looked at him and said, General Mathis. And he said, no, I know General Mathis is the, com- the commander of the base, but who's the officer of the day? He said, I'm sorry, sir, but the officer of the day is General Mathis. And the guy kind of shook his head and he said, what do you mean General Mathis is the officer of the day? He said, well, he showed up here last night after dark and I don't know if it was a lieutenant or a a, a captain was the officer of the day. And um, he got to talking to him and found out that he was a husband and a father and his kids were going to have Christmas without him because he had duty. And he said, well, you, sir, are relieved. Go home be with your family. I got your duty. And he slept on a cot in a guard shack all night as a... Not an elderly man, but he was probably in his sixties. I mean I'm sure he would have much rather slept a lot of places than that cart that cot. <clears throat> but his his he had enough rank to realize I have a responsibility to this man. I don't need to go home. I'm just gonna be at home by myself. He needs to go be with his kids. And in the other story that I heard, which again, it, it it just it shows the man's heart. It shows the responsibility he f- he feels, and it's the same way for us. We have that rank of 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 being an heir of God, but we also have responsibilities. And and that was when he retired from the Marine Corps. He had uh, he took I don't know four six weeks. Um, and jumped in his car, and he got a list from the Marine Corps of every Marine under his command in Afghanistan that was killed. And he planned out on a map, and in whatever time he had allotted before he had to go to his new job, he went and saw every widow or every parent that he could fit in to thank them for the service of their husband or their son or their daughter. And I'm thinking, who does that? That is a man who has huge rank. I don't know what he retired, but he, I think he at least had three stars. I don't know if he got his fourth one or not. But he wasn't required. His rank gave him great privilege, but he knew what his responsibility was. Same way with us. We have been, we have been made... Uh, heirs we've been made kings and priests we have all of this rank we have all of this privilege of being an adopted son of God but with that we need to be more aware of our responsibilities to a lost and dying world that's why even though you know <clears throat> I didn't my, my I can't say my heart wasn't in it my emotions weren't in it the other day when I saw that march and saw all the stupid, ugly things that these people got up and said. But I still know I have to pray for them. They're doing it in ignorance. They're angry, they're scared, they're lashing out. Uh, Joyce Meyer said it years ago, hurting people hurt people. And when people get crazy that way, there's usually something behind it, even if they're born again. Because let's face it, some of the meanest people I've ever met are Christians. It, it breaks my heart to say that, but it's true. <laughs> they just, they're mean. And, but it's because they're hurting. They, especially the Christians, they don't know who they are in Christ. They don't have a revelation of what God's done for them. And because of that, they lash out because they're, they're in constant pain. Unbelievers, they don't know why they do it. They're just Sinners. It's like getting mad at a hog for wallowing when it's hot, for wallowing in in mud. It's just trying to cool off. It just knows it's hot and it wants to get cool. It really doesn't want to get dirty, but that's what it does. Well, sinners sin because that's what they do. Now, part of this, though, if you look at Galatians chapter 4, this is one of the the, uh, things that come. This is one of the parts of the rank. And where I saw a good example of that this past weekend during the inauguration, um, President Trump had his family with him, and he's got what four adult children, and then he's got the ten-year-old with him. Well, they're all his. I mean, uh, especially the boys. Now the girls, I don't know. They don't really look a lot like their father, which is probably a good thing. But those three boys, yeah, there's no doubt, man, they are his. But you look at the two adult sons, they have positions of authority and responsibility in his businesses. They went to work for dad. The, the, the younger one, Baron, the 10 year old, he's 10 years old. He has a job go to school, learn. But he's still an heir. He still has the name. He still just walks in whatever property they're at. That, I mean, you know, I don't even know how many places they, how many houses they have. But he feels free to walk anywhere in those. Because this is dad's and I have a right to be here. But he can't exercise any authority. He has the, by nature, he is in that family, but he has not assumed responsibilities yet, or doesn't have the privileges of rank yet. Galatians 4, starting in verse 1, this is what, how Paul describes it with Christians. He says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. But he is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So what he's telling us is, before we got born again, we were under guardians and stewards. The law corrected you. The law said, do not covet. In fact, I love this story where the rich man comes to Jesus, and everybody takes that, that, um, that parable and, or that story about the rich man and says, see, if you're rich, you've got money, you're probably not going to be able to get saved. That wasn't the point Jesus was making. The, G, this guy came to Jesus, and his own testimony was, I've kept all of the law. Well, first of all, Jesus knew that's not true. No one has ever done that except for him. So he knew the guy was deceived to begin with. Rather than saying, well, you're deceived or you're a liar, he pointed out to him, because one of the, the the points of the law is, is do not covet. He pointed out that he coveted his riches. That's why he pointed out and he said to him, go you're you're at the doorstep of the kingdom of heaven. Go sell all that you have and come follow me. The guy couldn't do it. Why? Because he coveted his riches more than he did following Jesus. He could not let go of the money. <clears throat> that was the steward, that was the guardian. It was that with law smacked him and said, See, now I believe personally that at some point. That guy got born again because he was open to it. And I think after Jesus died and was resurrected, he probably responded to the gospel. Um, But when we're that, when we're not born again, we're under the elementary uh, parts of of the world. The law rules us and we're bondage. We're in bondage. We're slaves to sin. But when God redeemed us, when we accept that, he did that so that we might receive the adoption of sons. We are then elevated to that rank. Now, even as believers, I have the rank, but as a baby Christian, I may not be able to walk in it. I have authority, but if I don't know how to exercise my authority, or even worse, don't know that I have authority, then I can't do it. I'm going to cower in the, in the corner. Um, when a, a natural child is born, he has the nature of his parents. But, and that never changes. But he's immature. As long as we are immature, we might have that nature. We might technically have the rank, but we still will not live as an heir. But, when we come of age, when we grow up in Christ. And that's why I am I preach so hard who you are in Christ, who you are in Christ. And I know some people get so sick of it. There's more to the word than who we are in Christ. I can remember when I was at Rhema, people would ask Brother Hagen all the time, will you pre- please preach on something besides faith and healing? He said, yes, as soon as you get it. <laughs> when you start walking in faith... I'll quit preaching about faith. And he preached till he was 85 or 86, and he never quit. You know, because there was always somebody. In fact, a lot of people that heard him for years still didn't get it. That, for me, is the revelation, knowing who we are, what our rank is, and that we have authority. And then to start standing up and having the courage, because I'll be honest with you, it's a little scary the first time that you try it you know to stand up against the devil to take authority over sickness and disease to lay hands on on somebody that's sick and say you're going to be you're going to be healed what if they're not i just had somebody say that to me the other day well what if they're not healed it's like what if they are I don't know the future. In fact, in in my discussion with them, I told them, I said, "You are not you are not guaranteed the outcome in any particular situation, but you are guaranteed what the word says, and you are guaranteed that if you don't take a stand and don't fight for them or fight for yourself, you will lose." You have to stand in faith. You have to stand in faith. Yes, but if you if you refuse to take a stand. I guess what I'm trying to say is there is no neutrality. You know, during World War II, it always amazed me, Switzerland sat right in the middle of Europe, and it was totally neutral. You could get to Switzerland, the Nazis would not go in and get you. They respected their borders. But I always wondered, what would have happened if Hitler had won? How long do you think he, it would have taken him to cross that border and say, yeah, neutrality was fine, but we're taking over now. We want the gold out of your vaults nothing he just didn't need another front so he didn't go in plus i have a feeling that the swiss were helping him with a lot of things too now <clears throat> to show how much rank and how much authority we have go to 1st corinthians chapter 6 and i'm going to try to wrap this up real quick and i'm just going to touch on a few things that these are our privileges these are this shows how much authority and how much power we have first corinthians chapter 6 starting in verse 1 dare any of you having a matter against another i'm talking about two christians having a conflict go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints do you not know that the saints will judge the world And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? I mean, that's a pretty awesome statement by Paul. He's just talking to ordinary Christians. He's saying, you are going to judge the world. You are going to stand in judgment about angels. Wow. Wow. That's, that's, that's an awesome thing. Uh, the book of Revelation in chapter 1 and in chapter 5 says that we are kings and priests. Uh, in Revelation 1, the last part of verse 5 and 6, it says, To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. In chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, it says, it's talking about the, I think this is the 24 elders. Says they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. We when when Jesus elevated us, and remember, this is in the context of an Old Testament setting, there were only three offices that God anointed. There was priest, prophet, and king. That was it. Well, he's put us actually in Christ. We're all three. We we are all king. Now we're not New Testament prophets um, in the fivefold ministry. But we have the gift of the Old Testament prophet because Jesus said in the Gospels, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will show you things to come. Now, that's primarily in your own life. But you do. That is the the ministry of 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 a prophet. God will anoint you to know things that are coming in your life. He's also made us kings and priests. We're kings because we rule. We have authority in our lives. Now, our authority is subject to God's authority, and we need to, it's one of the reasons Paul in, in uh, I think it was in chapter 8 of Romans, says we know not how we, how we ought to pray. That's our biggest limitation. In fact, it's one of the reasons that I preach that we ought to be spirit-filled and pray in tongues. Because when you don't know how to pray, praying in tongues will, will, will um, it will help you to get the will of God. And then once you know what the will of God is, then it's easy to pray. Simple. And then he've also made us priests because we don't have to go to anyone to go before God. We have a direct connection through the Holy Spirit. But then he also, you're there in Revelation, go back to chapter 2. He's given us a new name which signifies a change of status. It's one of the reasons, and and I really don't like it in this modern world, a lot of ladies get married and they won't take their husband's name. Paul, we get to the, to the end of, of Ephesians, he, he tells us that God uses the, the um, um, relationship of marriage to draw a picture to the world of the relationship of the church and, and Jesus. And why, why it's important that a wife takes her, her husband's name is that it shows a change of status. I am no longer out here, and in as a picture, it's us. We are no longer out here, married to sin. I am now married to a new husband, and I've taken his name, and his name is Jesus. But in uh, Revelation two seventeen, it says, um, well, let me read, let me just read this to you before we read in Revelation, because it's going to say here, to him who overcomes, I will give something. Keep in mind, 1 John um, 5, verse 4 and 5, this is the same apostle that wrote the book of Revelation. John wrote this in 1 John. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. This is the key verse, though. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? When these two passages in Revelation that I'm going to read, when it says to him who overcomes, that's us as Christians. We are overcomers because we believe that Jesus is the son of God. Because I've had people read this. I've read these scriptures and they say, well, I'm not an overcomer. I'm just an old worm. No, you are an overcomer. You're a king, a priest, a prophet. You stand, you know, you're, you're seated at the throne right next to the father. But in Revelation 2.17, it says, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. There again, we're getting a new name. It signifies a change of status. And then in Revelation 3.12, He says, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. Peter uses the the analogy or the the symbolism all the time that we are stones. We're living stones. We actually make up that temple uh, of God. He says, and I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. Again, our status has changed. My name. I'm not just John Roberts, Joe Blow from out in the middle of nowhere who's got no status at all. No, Nobody knows who my dad and mom were. And, I mean, a few people did, but... You go to Wikipedia, you don't find a page for me. <laughs> I'm not important enough. But God has given me his name. And he's given me a name that, that shows that I have a status with him that makes me ruler of all. And then the last one, and in some ways it's the most important one, we have the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 4, um, verse 6 says, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Everything that Jesus is, we've inherited. Which, you know, it would be nice to be the son of Donald Trump, to be his heir. Or to be the heir of Bill Gates. Be nice to have that kind of money. Make life a lot more comfortable physically. But <laughs> I'm an heir of God. I have authority. And then uh, the last one that, that talks about us being heirs. In Romans eight sixteen and 17. Says the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. Everything he owns is ours. He freely gives it to us. It's ours. We, it belongs because we've been adopted into his family. He, when he looks at us, he sees, that's my son. In fact, it was, it was interesting when um, I was teaching at the private school down in southern Indiana... Uh, I was a private Christian school. I said something one day, made a reference to my son and daughter, and one of my students chimed up and she said, Well, you say they're your son and daughter, but didn't you adopt them? And I had to stop and think for a minute. Well, yeah, I did. I never I when I think of them, I don't think well that's my adopted son and daughter. I just think they're my kids. They, 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 and I have, you know, I mean, I treasure the memory of my girls, <clears throat> I still, you know, I think about them all the time, but I love and care as much for Ryan and Tiffany as my adopted children as I ever did for my natural children. And I tell you what, I, I there were times, you know, because I was so ignorant, I begged God take me and not them when they were dying. and. Not realizing that I had the authority as a Christian to stand up and fight for their lives. I didn't know it, so I didn't do it. But um, there's no difference between them. It's, These are my kids. God looks at us and he says, and, and I, what, what frustrates me is I see Christians who can't get past their own sin consciousness. They are so conscious of what they do wrong that they never see what God has done right. And God says, I don't care. All that stuff's under the blood. Stand up and take your place. You are my child. That was from your old, from your natural father. He's not your father anymore. I'm your father. Come take a place in my house. Come work for me. Come let me bless you. I've given, you're, you're a joint heir. It's like the, uh, um, the story of the prodigal son, the, the second son that came in and said, wow, he goes off and, you know, he goes to all these drunken parties, spent all of his inheritance, and he comes back and we're going to have a party for him. I've worked my butt off for you here. You've never given me a party. And the dad looked at him and said, you could have had a party anytime you wanted to. You're heir of everything. If you want to kill the fatted calf, go fill the calf, kill the fatted calf. It's yours. You've had the authority. But here's my son who was dead and now he's back with me. He's alive. I'm going to party. Come party with me. Well, sometimes when you've been saved a long time, you start thinking, Lord, I'm, I've served you. i do this for you. It hadn't got me anywhere. I don't have a new car. My house is not great. I'm, you know... You start to get the mully grubs. <laughs> you start getting the woe is me's. Well, God has an answer. Well, maybe you have not because you asked not. Maybe you just haven't realized exactly who you are. You are my heirs, you are my children. Stand up and beat the devil off your back. He's stealing. The reason you don't have it, he's stealing everything from you. And I'll be honest with you, I'm tired of having him steal from me. I don't steal no more, and everything you have already stolen, I want a sevenfold return. You're the thief, and I found you out. I want it all back, and I want it back multiplied. Is it all going to come, you know, God pay up every Friday night? No, but it'll come. It will come, because I have his word on it. And, but I have to stand up and do my part. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. If this message has blessed you today, we invite you to visit us in person at Faith Community Church or online at FCCIndianapolis.com.